You're listening to Rocks Across the Pond, the curling podcast that goes around the globe looking for the best stories in the world's coolest sport. We have curling news and views for everyone, whether you're playing in your Thursday league or following your favorite teams on tour. Now here are your hosts, Ryan McGee and our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. My name is Ryan McGee, and joining me as always in Southampton, England, is Jonathan Havercroft. Jonathan, I had to remember how to do this. Is Fisher napping? No. Oh, you're talking a little quiet. Oh, I am? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Not as uh, boisterous as you usually are. Uh, I had to remember how to podcast, man. It's been over a month. It's been a while, man. Yeah. Uh, what have you been up to? We're still sort of in semi-lockdown. I've, I'm able to go to the gym now, so that's very exciting. Uh, I'm going curling next weekend, which is very exciting. When was the last time you threw a rock? Uh, I threw a couple of rocks last summer uh, at Preston, but I didn't really play a game. Like, literally a couple. I went up to help Joe and I think I threw it. Like- so this will be your first curling game since when? Since uh, like March 14th. Of last year. Of 2020, yeah. Of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> since the since lock, since lockdown began. L- literally the last thing I did when locked before everything fell apart. I was when everything was falling apart, like the week of the Oklahoma City game. Um the Rudy Boat Gobert game, I guess. Uh I was I was curling. <laughs> and then uh and then everything ended. Uh yeah. yeah, that's that that was that's around the last time. That was my last league game, so I don't know when. Don't know when we're going to get open, but I think we're going to do some curling this summer. But yeah, I have not. I still have not thrown a rock since March of 2020. So glad to hear that you're that you're going to get back on the ice. That's awesome, man. It'll probably hurt. Have you been able to find all of your equipment? Do you remember where you stored it? Uh, I. Oh yeah, I, I went on a little road trip um, all the way to Kent to get my broom from Lisa. Oh gosh, <laughs> how long of a drive was that? <laughs> Four hours round trip, but it was exciting. That's the, you know, I haven't, seven, see, I haven't left the city limits in like since November. That was pretty exciting. Did you do anything else or was this strictly you drove two hours, got a broom and turned around and came back? Uh, hung out with her, had a chat with somebody else, got my curling gear. So it was, it was like I went there three hours hanging out in the exciting village of, or town, I guess, town of Tunbridge. Not to be confused with Tunbridge Wells or Royal Tunbridge Wells is known. I don't know what any of those things. Imagine there's one town called Tunbridge with an O right next to a town called Royal Tunbridge with a U, Wells. Which one do you think is nice and which one do you think is not nice? Uh, See, I think it would be the opposite. I think that the town that's trash would put like all of the adjectives around it to make it seem really nice to trick people into going there. And the town that is actually nice would just be like, no, we're Tunbridge. Don't matter. No. <laughs> That's not how it works in England. Well, I mean, you can't call yourself royal in England. The queen calls you royal. So, <laughs> the queen doesn't have copyrights on words. Uh, yes, yeah, she's the queen. <laughs> she actually does. It's <laughs> the whole point of being the queen. She's in the government anymore, man. She's a figurehead. No, figureheads don't government. get the copyright she word. She is the government. <laughs> she blesses the government. Exactly. I, All right. Man, no. I'm gonna. T- I'm gonna. I'm calling my city royal, and the queen can sue me. Be my guest. <laughs> All right, you do it, man. <laughs> uh, a lot of curling has happened since the last time we talked. Yeah, wh- when? What did we talk about last time? Uh, last time was our women's world's preview. Oh yeah, I got it wrong. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> uh, everyone did. Uh, well, no, I think. Well, we didn't make any like actual predictions. Um, yeah, so the last time we talked was Easter, which uh, was over a month ago. So that was cool. Uh, and we previewed Women's Worlds. Uh, thank you to everyone who listened to that episode. We, we were pretty proud of it, put a lot of effort into it, especially getting the interviews uh, with the Korean, Japanese, and Chinese coaches. So thank you to everyone for your feedback on that episode. We appreciate it. Uh, so we're going to go through women's worlds and then just a bunch of news that has happened around the world since the last time we 
talk to you. And the way I kind of pitched this episode to Jonathan was, what if I just feed you news items and you react to them? And he seemed, uh, Jonathan, you seemed pretty, pretty good with that. Yes, it's very All exciting. Right. What, if, what if I act shocked at some? Um, you should be shocked at some of these things. All right. All right. So uh, you want to start with women's, well, I guess we'll work backwards. You want to start with women's worlds? Yes, let's do it. All right. Switzerland won. It is Switzerland's world and we are just living in it. They've now won six of the last nine women's world championships that have been contested, including the last two by Team Tiranzoni. Yeah, they're a good curling team. <laughs> that's my that's my deep analysis, Ryan. Um, it was tough because honestly, I just lost contact with the event after the tv was pulled and then the times for the events this uh, the finals didn't work well with uh, my weekend schedule so i don't have much to say i went basically off devin Haro's tweets and uh the little banter in our podcasting uh chat group but uh yeah did you have any insights did you get to watch the, the weekend games at least when the tv came back I did not get a chance to watch the gold medal game. I was in an RV uh, in some somewhere in Virginia, uh, but I did get to watch some of the bronze medal game and some of Team USA's playoff games. But did not get to see the the gold medal game. What was impressive to me was the team that wound up finishing second. Uh, Team Russia, or RCF, as they were known as for this event. But Russia, skipped by Alina Kovaleva, we kind of talked about this during the preview. Would she and her team be able to make, you know, the leap and medal at a international event? And they did. Uh, and they did so with gusto, Jonathan. They went 11-2 during the round robin and beat Anna Hasselborg twice on their way to silver medal. Yeah, they had a really good week. I So since I primarily watched through YouTube, I've taken to calling them VPN. Do you want to know why? <laughs> Team why? VPN. Because the two things you can't say on the group, the WCF group chat, are Russia and VPN. <laughs> WCF has moderators. And so if someone starts talking about, why don't you just use a VPN and go watch this on TSN instead, which frequently comes up. Oh, does it really? <laughs> they ban you. <laughs> and, then, See, I, and then if you say I, Russia, they get very angry on the YouTube chat the moderators clamp down on you to talk about russia you have to call them rcf yeah this was this came up during the men's worlds too where wada the world anti-doping agency sent out this press release saying you know don't refer to them as the rcf or russian curling federation or russia just refer to them as rcf and it's like if you're going to get this much into detail and care this much about what the team is called why didn't you just ban them why didn't you just ban them from playing? I didn't get. I think they just should have said, given the whole country two year penalty. You can't play, and then that's it, right? Yeah, that's what they should have done, but they didn't. They're letting them participate, so I'm going to call them whatever I want to call them. They're Russia. Sorry, yeah. that's their choice. If they don't want to enforce the penalty or go to that option. Um, yeah, then you right. really have no right. You have no right to complain on what people call them if you let them into the event. Like yeah. If you really want to get, if you really want to care that much, actually ban them. Actually, you know, show some force here. Especially the fans, right? I get, I get why WCF can't do it because they'll get sanctions from IOC. But it's like it, they won't fans, get sanctions. They'll well, get, they'll totally get, get talked to. Yeah, but it's just like what <laughs> like the fans on the chat. I'm just like, let them say what they want to say. Yeah, that's a, yeah, it's a little much. Plus, I I mainly feel bad for the person that has to moderate that chat. Yeah, it's <laughs> the chat is pretty funny, actually. <laughs> as as a former like moderator for a somewhat public entity, like yeah, that's the worst job ever. <laughs> yeah, it's probably not. Um, other things from women's worlds. Hey, Switzerland had an eight ender. That was cool. That was cool. Uh, unfortunately, no one was there. No, there weren't any cameras rolling to show it. But yeah, kind of crazy that they had an eight ender. That was kind of wild. Um, the U.S. medaled. It was their first. Uh, they won bronze. It was their first medal at Women's World since 2006 when Debbie McCormick did it. Uh, rough start for this team. You know, they they really struggled when they first came into the bubble. They really struggled at both Grand Slam events. They started 0-2 at Worlds, including a loss to the three-handed German team. Uh, but then they had a four-game win streak, including a win over Canada that got them back on track. So really just a nice culmination of the week to see this team get a medal. 
Yeah, no, it was a really good run by them. Um, maybe. Uh, maybe the women's side, the U.S. women's side, that might be their better medal shot uh, next year. What do you think? I don't know, just because the field is so deep on the women's side. I mean, it's good to see this team succeed, especially now with Nina back in the fold, to see them have this kind of success now that they're back fully as a complete team. But, man, it's just so deep on the women's side. It's really tough. Uh, It's really tough, really, for any team. I mean, shoot, the defending Olympic champions, which we're about to talk about, uh, finished off the podium. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a tough, tough event, but I think the U.S. has two legit medal because I think Team Sinclair, if they win trials, I think they're also a medal threat too. So I, I'm tempted, I'm tentative about saying that just because they've never, we've we've never seen them play together. When they play together here at U.S. Nationals here in a little bit, it'll be our our first time really to see them. So yeah, uh, I'll I'll hold off on that until I see them play. But yes, I get what you're saying. Yeah, as that lineup, but you know, they're all. They're all vets, right? Yes, so. as as individuals, they are extremely good curlers. Yeah. But I'm I'm interested to see them play play together before I before I call them a metal threat. All right, <laughs> you're a bit more cautious. All right, <laughs> I always am. Yeah. Um, and the U.S. scored. Are you cautious? Yeah, the U.S. About scored. F- yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I might. Should should I be now? I'm. U.S. dropped a five bagger on them in order to win bronze. Um. Sweden finishes off the pro off the podium. Still no world gold medal for Anna Hasselborg. Um, what do you think, Jonathan? I honestly didn't. I did not see a single one of their games, so I couldn't give you uh, any uh, particularly insightful commentary on on why they finished fourth. So the only game I did see from start to finish was the Canada Sweden playoff qualifier game, and in that game they were just vicious, like all four throwing nineties, <laughs> right? So. It was that was classic Hasselberg, and you know Einerson. They they had a little bit of trouble front end with setup stones. I'd say that kind of, and that just mm. burned them. Like they just didn't get the setups, and it was just they had Einerson and no shot. If they if you're kind of not getting the setups up front in a couple of key ends, you're going to get forced. You're going to get your give up your deuce, and that's basically what happened. So that if, if Sweden plays like that, um, that's classic Sweden. That's classic Hasselberg. So I wouldn't write them off. But I mean, I, I agree with you. I think the big takeaway from this event is how deep the women's world field is, right? Um, like, a, like a good team is not going to go to the Olympics. I'd say, like a team that, that a team yeah. that's a playoff threat. Let's put it that way. They could have, they, maybe they didn't make the playoffs this year, but you know, uh, a Yench, uh, you know, Team Scotland, it's not yep. it has to go qualify, right? That's a pretty pretty Korea. <laughs> Right. So we've got yep. some pretty deep teams there. Yeah. Defending um, Olympic silver medalists yeah. did not make playoffs. And so I, I mean, we'll talk about the Olympic qualifiers later on, but I, you know, I, just as we said, some teams were going to go on, go away unhappy from this. I'd say one or two teams that have legit expectations to make the Olympics are not going to make the Olympics mm-hmm. out of the OQ. One team that is heading to the Olympics because they qualified for the playoffs and I'm not completely surprisingly, but sort of, I mean, w- when we talked about this team in the preview, I said they could finish anywhere from fourth to 12th and I would not be surprised. Uh, Denmark did make the playoffs and they now have qualified for every single women's Olympic curling tournament. How impressive is that considering how small Denmark is? Is. I mean, I think that's really impressive. I, I, Madalena Dupont has this ability when she like at international events to kind of rise to the occasion, right? So she, you see it at Euros too. Maybe like maybe not every year, but you know <clears throat> when she's on, she's definitely a kind of a playoff threat there too. She can also just not be on, or the team can just not be on, and then they they just don't post results. But they're definitely a dangerous team, is how I classify them. Right. They, yeah. Fine. They'll give up an eight, an eight ender, but they'll they'll also pull off a, a fair number of upsets. Too. And then the final team to lock up their Olympic berth here at Worlds was Canada, and a really dreadful start. Starting one and five, the sky was falling. Twitter was on fire. Uh, Twitter was a dumpster fire. Uh, and then, kind of, I I, I thought this team was going to battle back and potentially qualify for playoffs. And sure enough, they did. They did what they needed to do to to make it and secure that Olympic spot. So here's my question. How much of that was an optical illusion of the schedule in the sense that their hardest games were at the front and then 
their back end was a little bit easier, I'd say. Um, a little bit. Uh, I would have thought that they would have maybe won a couple more of those and maybe be like three and three instead of one and five. Like looking at their schedule, I thought, okay, three and three, three and three is definitely on the table for this team. I really didn't think they'd start one and five, uh, especially after how well they played in the grand slams leading up to this event. But we kind of talked about it a little bit in the, in the preview, Jonathan, I think maybe a little bit of bubble fatigue. Um, and maybe you want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, I think I can't imagine being stuck <laughs> damn bubble for three months basically mm-hmm. right or i guess they weren't the full three months but einerson was there at the beginning i guess she probably got off for the briar and had to go back in but plus all the protocols uh you know mixed doubles the slams uh, the worlds right so that would be a pretty tough grind even even i think even if you were just playing that as a schedule i think most teams most teams these days probably do two weekend two weekends on and then a weekend off is kind of mm-hmm. their their format. Um, so this was kind of a lot of very long events uh, with mu- with not much rest. So I think I think probably mental burnout more than anything. I think the I think the we'll get to it in a little bit, but I think some of the whining about the physical burnout. I'm a bit more of a skeptic of that, but. Um, I, no, it would definitely be mental there. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think part of that and the reason that maybe there's some bubble fatigue there is they they didn't uh, – up until the point that they were one in five or the, the, the point that the, the losses kind of started piling up for them, they hadn't really faced a ton of adversity while they'd been in the bubble. I mean, shoot, they won the Scotties. Kerry won the mixed doubles and, in fact, all of – I think three of the three of the four of them made playoffs at at mixed doubles, so they had some success there. They had a lot of success at the Grand Slams, and where I think the bubble fatigue, as we've called it, kind of can can creep in is when things start going awry, and because it's it's because you're alone, and for some people, when things start going poorly, they need to be alone. And for some people, it's the exact opposite. That's when you really need your loved ones around you. Like, I don't know about you, Jonathan, but like when things are going really tough for me, I, I just need a hug, man. And that really wasn't available for them. Their loved mm-hmm. ones weren't in the bubble with them. Weren't, they weren't able to have those, those comforts of home when things started going awry for them. And I think that's what makes it even more impressive that they came back from one in five to make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean that that's pressure, right? Um I think having to r- rattle off that many wins to to get in and then they actually had to sit and wait, which is never never comfortable just to see how the, the other games went afterwards. So mm-hmm. um yeah, it was uh, it was a good run there to to clinch the clinch the uh, Olympic berth. Uh Three of the countries that did not qualify and are heading to the OQE include three teams that really probably went in thinking that they were metal metal contenders. That's uh, Scotland, Korea, and Japan. Korea and Japan both kind of started slow. Scotland, however, early on in the tournament, I thought Eve looked amazing. And then just the losses started piling up. And the next thing they knew, they were on the, they were on the other side of the fence. So again, is that a case of um, schedule illusion where she had a tougher, tougher run and easier start? I thought they had a pretty even schedule because hmm. they played the U.S. and Canada fairly early. Yeah, All right, maybe Korea kind of started off slow and then put together a run late, yep. but was kind of too late. And I, I, for me, I think that might if there's any for maybe I'm reading too much into this, but my sense is they haven't really had much competition in a few years, and so on top of the bubble lack of sharpness or the COVID lack of sharpness, that might also have had a bit of an impact. So I kind of wonder there for them. Their first game was against Team Tiranzoni. And it was very obvious which of those teams had just played in two Grand Slams and which of those teams had not played a competitive game since November. Uh, And Tiranzoni beat them 10 to 2. So, I mean, that was was it right there. And then they finally, once they got some games under their belt, they started putting together some wins yeah i think this kind of raises the question of how much do we read into this as a you know indicative of what the olympics is going to be like and how much of this is just wonky results because of bubble um 
I'm not able to play a full season, teams not being able to be sharp, all those kind of factors, right? Yeah, there's definitely some wonkiness there. And like just thinking about if these teams get a chance to get a good season, actual season under their belts, just how amazing that women's Olympic tournament's going to be. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I think this is coming, right? Because it's not just... I'd say the only surprise of the field, and even that it's not shocking, right, is Denmark getting in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I mean, we said this in the preview. Some some teams are going to go home unhappy, and I think that's the case for the OQE too. I think I think you can legitimately say twelve kind of twelve countries are are capable now of fielding a top twenty team, if that makes sense. so like an, mm-hmm. an Olympic caliber team. And if you go back two quads, that's definitely not the case, right? Like twenty fourteen, that wouldn't have been the case, and before that, the field was pretty uneven. Um, fields on the women's side, especially is getting very deep and fairly, I'd say. What is the feeling? Cause you're, you're on the Island. What is the feeling coming out of Scotland about not make, not qualifying for the Olympics directly and having to go to that OQE now? Uh, I mean, <laughs> all I get is what's on Scottish curling banter. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of whinging about the tiebreak process. And lack of tiebreakers. Although I kind of suspect had had Canada been on the outside looking in and Scotland gotten in, um, the arguments would have been the opposite. So I kind of discount process arguments like that when teams that fans support lose. Um, I I think a little bit of concern. I think that the one question I've heard raised, which is interesting, is 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 Eve's hip uh, back or causing causing trouble again? I saw some people saying this are wince a bit. I'm not sure if that's projection. Or not, I have no no knowledge one way or the other about that. Uh, I, again, I'm like, she's had the teams had access to ice all season, and they've played their their kind of in house competitions, but that's not the same thing as playing on tour, mm-hmm. right? So, how much of this is just like a wonky event where teams aren't really sharp yet, right? You go you go look at curling zone in September, and there's a lot of weird scores, right? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I I wouldn't put too much into it. I think. The the OQE is going to be a little scary, I think, for for someone. I mean, the U.S. kind of went through that with Schuster a few cycles ago, uh, where he kind of had to sneak through. Yeah, in right? 2013. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it'll be like that for Scotland. Um, I think I think the big question here is um, if they don't make the Olympics because so much funding is tied to performance, especially in the British system, uh, does that lead to a significant um, bite? out of British curling funding for the next cycle, right? That's that I think's the real the real issue just based on how the funding works, right? And it's not like Canada or the US perhaps where where the association may have other sources of revenue. British curling's basically entirely lottery funded. So that that I think's a little bit scary part there, right? Yeah, that's the scary proposition for them. Uh, and a lot of hand-wringing in Scotland, at least up until that OQE. Uh, Japan, I thought they played well. Um, their main issue, at least that I saw, was maybe scoreboard management and making sure that they had hammer in the deciding end. And that's kind of what bit them a few times was they didn't have hammer in the deciding end and the opposing skip made a shot to beat them at the at the end it wasn't necessarily anything that they did it was you know you gotta tip your hat when the other team skip makes a makes a draw to the forefoot when the game's on the line and i think that happened i saw it that happened to them like three different times mm. um so yeah just a little bit of scoreboard management there and i'm sure that they'll get that cleaned up it'll be interesting to see if it's yoshimura or fujisawa that winds up winning their uh their olympic trials to see which i because i assume that they will run that before the oqe and then send the team that's going to the olympics to the oqe yeah i, I assume and I, I guess the same for korea too right because they do their championship in august yeah, there's actually yeah, well there there's actually starts earlier. They're starting it in like late June because they're running three different segments of championship to determine the national to determine the Olympic um the Olympic team. So at first they're running kind of a straight national championship. Uh a bunch of teams can enter, um, round robin, playoffs, winner. And then the top four from that will then compete in a second tournament where I think it's like double round robin or triple round robin, something like that. 
and then the win the the top two teams play like a best of three and uh, some of this is probably completely wrong and i'm sure i'm going to get an email telling me i'm wrong but <laughs> so the second the second segment is just the top basically open entry national championship in june they play it you get the top four from that go into the second tournament which is held i think in july and then if the same team wins both of those segments, then that's your team that's going to represent Korea at the Olympic qualification event. And then the Olympics, if they qualify for that, mm. uh, if different teams win those first two segments, then there's a third segment that I believe is a best of seven between those two winners. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they're there. I mean, that's. That's about as good a way as you can determine a true Olympic representative as it gets, eh, Jonathan? <laughs> you got the time and you got the money. Why not, right? That's true. <laughs> uh, some other notes from Women's Worlds Germany had to play three-handed because of two positive COVID tests, uh, and they played very valiantly. I believe uh, they, you know, they finished just outside of the playoffs. Uh, the Czechs wound up getting a tough break. There was a... There was a postponement due to a COVID-19 outbreak among the broadcast crew. And as a result of the rescheduling, the Czechs actually had to play three games in one day, which they weren't uh, extremely happy about. But uh, that did have to happen. See, I think I, I think that so I didn't see that much bashing of Einerson on social media. But there I saw the Czechs kind of get dragged um, on Facebook, at least for their statement and Guy Hemmings. Uh, actually kind of intervened there and kind of took them to task. So that was kind of interesting. Uh, I saw none of that because I tend to avoid Facebook at all costs. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> but what was funny is um, people from my generation, let's say Gen X and plus, <laughs> were kind of like three game day, suck it up, kiddo, right? Because I, I think that was certainly par for the course on tour. So I still think it kind of is. If you're you're kind of playing a weekend cash spiel and you make it to Sunday, you're you're probably expecting game day anyway. So um, I, I know these events, it's a bit longer and all that, but I'm also like, it was a bubble. Um, we knew the risks, uh, right. And so one of the risks was you had to play a three game day. Like Switzerland had to play a three game day in the, uh, in, in the, the men's, men's team in the medal round, yeah. right. To win a medal. So yep. yeah, I just, it just thought it was interesting that they kind of complained about it and they got a little bit of pushback. Yeah, I mean, if if they were a little more in contention for the playoffs, uh, it would have been a little more interesting to see if the WCF had maybe tried to rework the schedule a bit and maybe move that last draw to the next morning. Um, mm. But the way the way it was there, they were gonna, they had less than a one percent chance of making the top six at the going into that day, so they were going to have to win all three and just get a ton of help. Yeah. Um, so that would have made it more interesting if, say, they were more in contention there. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, probably kind of the coolest thing to come out of a difficult situation. Uh, obviously, there was no TV there for several days because of the uh, outbreak of COVID-19 among the crew. Uh, and there was some creativity from uh, <laughs> from the from the curling um, uh there's some creativity there from the curling community on how to follow these games, including Tsuyoshi Yamaguchi in Japan, uh, basically putting a camera on himself and broadcasting himself on YouTube, just sitting there and refreshing a shot tracker for each of Japan's <laughs> games. And it was probably probably my favorite moment of the Women's Worlds was seeing him uh, in a bandana uh, using a rubber chicken as a microphone and just sitting there and describing shots. Uh, one of the videos that I posted on Twitter was his reaction to the blanked 11th end that happened in their game against Germany. It was pretty, pretty remarkable television. <laughs> I wish I, I haven't yet seen a clean video of that shot. I've only seen the side angle. That's probably the only one that exists. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's too bad. That, that actually, from the side angle and from the, uh, well, from the whatever you call it, <laughs> the pictures of the stones, stationary pictures of the stones, it looked like a wicked shot, just the force. Yep. Force an extra extra, as our, our friends at the 12th End Sports Network likes yep. to call them. So, so yeah. Jonathan, you... You said before how much you enjoyed the Olympic qualification event and you think that it's a tournament that people should pay more attention to. Well, they're they're going to pay attention now because you've got uh, Scotland, Korea, and Japan heading there. Yeah, I think I think it'll be a big event next year, right? So I think it's in December. Yeah, I, I am looking forward to that one for sure. 
Yep. Uh, before Women's Worlds, there were two slams, and really the only two notes that I kind of want to talk about is one, you had Bruce Mowat uh, winning both events <laughs> on the men's side. That was kind of crazy. I mean, that was. And so here's here's one of the reasons just to get back to the Eve Muirhead point uh, that has me a little bit worried is I was stunned at how little coverage there was for this. Mm-hmm. I'm in England, which is different than Scotland, but I think even just kind of going off social media, it also seemed our Scottish friends were a bit upset at how, I mean, how little he got. He's probably Britain's best medal shot at next year's. That team is probably Britain's best medal shot right now, right? In next year's Winter Olympics. Although Britain is also very good at skeleton, even though there are no skeleton tracks in this country. (laughs) But uh, you've heard me rant about that before. Um, And and it's like, I, I can't, you know, in Can- I, I guess growing up in Canada, if anyone was kind of close in a world championship the year before an Olympics, like CBC Sports is all over that, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't get why BBC is just like, because eh. <laughs> part of that is it's the slams. Because if you think back to 2018, obviously Team Schuster's um, win in Pyeongchang got the the level of um, coverage that it did, and then. Literally a month later, you have Jamie Sinclair win the first slam for a U.S. curler, and that got zero coverage. And it's because you really don't get that level of coverage unless you're wearing the red, white, and blue. Yeah. Um, Like even now, I bet if tomorrow, if Schuster won a slam outside of Minnesota, it probably wouldn't get a ton of coverage. Like you probably wouldn't see that on SportsCenter. Hmm. But I thought between that and the silver, right? I mean, he he won the bubble in the sense of like the most consistent. His team had the most consistent performance over three really tough events. Which now the know, silver at the worlds, I would have expected that to get some coverage there. Like in, not in a Scotland. peak, hmm. not Man. a peak. Like, and like you know, like third tier snooker events getting coverage. So I don't know what's going on Ooh. here. Anyway, I don't know. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think. Like they've been knocking on the door for a while, and I think that was pro- if if Kovaleva's performance in the women's worlds was their kind of breakthrough moment. This is this was Team Moet's breakthrough moment for sure, right? Two slams and a and a world silver sets them up really well for Beijing. And then uh, the other note that I have from the slams is that Rachel Holman is apparently a superhero because uh, there there's really no other explanation for what she was able to do, which was come. Like, I think it was, what, three weeks after giving birth, something just insane like that and show up and win a slam. Absolutely yeah. unbelievable. And, and I like, she, someone asked her, like, what was it harder curling like nine months pregnant or eight and a half months pregnant or just having given birth? And she said something like, you know, being pregnant, it's kind of good because the weight pulls you down to the ice, <laughs> save more balance. <laughs> but being not pregnant, you can throw a bit harder. So <laughs> she, she, it didn't seem to bother her either way. So. No, it didn't. <laughs> no. We haven't really covered men's worlds uh, on this show, so I thought that we would do that for just a sec and just take a look at, at what happened at men's worlds. Uh, Edine, he gets one for the thumb. That's his fifth world championship. Uh, I mean, he's he's won the deck. I think after, well, I guess two years ago, 2019, there was a legit question who won the decade. I think he's he's been the most dominant team. Of the last decade, you could probably put Cooey and him fairly equal until this, but I'd say it's it's a Dean for sure. And then Cooey and Gushu on the men's side can argue about who who's number two, right? Do you think? He, and I saw where he had to have surgery uh, recently. Uh, do you think he retires after the Olympics? Uh, I mean, he's had back. He's had multiple back surgeries. A bit like Eve's hip, where I'm like, boy, you're really young to be having. I think this one was on. I think this one was foot related. Oh, maybe foot or ankle related. Uh, different problem then. I mean, I I don't know. It's an inter- like, and and they're both kind of in a similar situation where they're they're of this generation of curler who is professional and hence practices all the time. And you, you kind of wonder if that much volume of training, you know, just the repetitive stress eventually breaks mm-hmm. you down. You, you kind of saw something similar with Brad Gushu's hip you know, three, four years ago too, right? Where he had to basically miss half his. So maybe, maybe he's done mid thirties. I don't know. That seems a bit young to me, right? <laughs> like, um, but I, I, it's, it's obvious the one thing he wants and his team wants is a gold medal. And that's the mm-hmm. one thing he doesn't have that he, that he could win. So 
you know, maybe, maybe he wins the gold medal and decides to, to take a step back and do something else. Or maybe he says, this is fun. I'd like to go win another five world championships and a few more gold medals. Cause he certainly is young enough to do that too. Uh, Russia came out of nowhere. Uh, Sergei Glukov winds, winds up finishing second in the round robin, I believe. Or no, did they win the round robin? They might have won, yeah, the, round they won the round robin. But yeah, they yeah. won the round robin uh, to qualify Russia for the men's tournament when we definitely did not give him much of a chance of doing that. No. I mean, I, and I would say I was more surprised by this than the Danish um, performance just because. Oh, 100%. Right, like like Madeleine Dupont's been to the Olympics. She's got a good track record. Uh, Glukov, he's just like Russia. The Russian men, at least, haven't been as dominating as the Russian women, right? No. And so this was really the best performance I've seen from a Russian, uh, hands down, at either a Euros or a World. So, like tip of the hat to them, uh, and definitely a team to watch in next year's Olympics. And nice to see a nice to see a breakout there from. Uh, I guess we have to call them Team V. Uh, I think. <laughs> officially i think they will be known as roc which is kind of kind of metal roc rock (laughs) (laughs) all right um any any idea what could have allowed them to do what they did because that really they haven't on the international stage they haven't done great and then they put out a performance like that any idea what could have allowed them to make that kind of leap when really they were just playing events against other Russian teams leading up to the worlds. Uh, I honestly don't, <laughs> to be honest. So, uh, yeah, I, it, I was, I was genuinely surprised. Um, may, maybe the fact they were able to have a season, whereas some of these places were in lockdown. Um, they have, they have a good coaching network, obviously, um, and a good structure. And, they, and Russia's done well in mixed doubles and in women's play for, you know, I'd say, Solidly for half a decade and definitely, definitely since Sochi, right? Um, so maybe it's just taken them a little bit longer to build up their men's program and now it's it's peaking at the right time. Yeah, kind of crazy. Sergei Glukov finishes second at the Russian National Championship and then finishes fourth at Worlds. Kind of crazy. Yeah. Most of the favorites on the men's side made the Olympics. So the OQE on the men's side, I think, is just going to be wide open. Yeah. I there was no shockers, right? I, I guess Norway missing is a slight shock, but I wouldn't have been stunned at the start of the week if that was the outcome. So I would say Norway's probably I wouldn't say a prohibitive favorite at the OQE, but with three bursts, I'd be surprised if they didn't grab one of the three. Mm-hmm. Then it gets interesting, right? Yep, Italy, Japan, Korea, but a lot of evenly matched teams. Whereas I think on the women's side, you have three probably prohibitive favorites to grab those three slots that are available. Hmm. And then on the men's side, I think that it's kind of a free for all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then we had the men's tournament was where we had the four false positive tests that delayed the playoffs a a full day. Uh, I think that most of the debacle there came in the way that communication was handled. Um, surrounding those four positive tests. Um, but I think, you know, whoever was handling the actual test had a bad day and whoever was handling the communication of the information that was coming in also had a bad day. But uh, in the end, everything turned out okay, which is probably about as, as, as good as we could have hoped a result to come out of what eventually, what initially was a, was a pretty scary proposition of the bubble potentially bursting there i i think yeah that was probably the scariest moment and then second was the the announcers outbreak Mm -hmm. which i think actually sounded more serious because there were actual covid cases in that case right yes um you know i think take a step back and i was i'm actually probably the biggest shock is i'm surprised the whole of the whole bubble three months was as successful as it was right and so that's there's a lot of people that we don't even know their names behind the scenes who have who had to work, you know, day and night for three months to make that work and, and beforehand too, right? From just the logistics of running an event and then on adding on top of that, making it biosecure is uh, impressive. I, I think the, the men's world event was the moment where it looked like it might crack, right? Like I think we, I think we were generally afraid like when our, in our chat that that was it for the, there'd be no more bubble curling, right? Um, and 
I mean, I guess we found out late that they were four false positives. Yeah. I'm not even sure if it's like a lab malfunction or just like false positives just happen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't know there what happened. I think I think there's a bit of flack about the the communication on some aspects. I think the the, the one that was probably the not great was you know Chris Plies tweeted out that he found it from the press release that it was a false positive, right? Yeah. So there, there's got to be something tightened up about medical protocols that the, the obviously the person being tested needs to be notified first before you start sending out press releases. But I imagine the WCF's email and phone and uh, <laughs> chat uh, things were kind of blowing up at that. So um, it was probably a pretty tough situation involved. The it seemed like a bit more smoothly run when the announcers kind of got it like this. I mean, although it's less of an impact on the event, right? It's just the TV to watch, but it seemed like the communication process and all of that was yeah, they, a lot smoother. They they had learned their lesson. But... Yeah. And to be fair, uh, not many international yeah. sporting events had run a biosecure no. bubble, especially not one. This was complicated, right? Even more so than like the NBA bubble. This was teams coming in and out, flying in from different countries. Mm-hmm. There was a lot more risks involved, I'd say, with this thing, and on a far, far smaller budget than a lot of the pro bubbles. Yep. Um, I will. I, yeah, they I, weren't you know, saying... we, were, we were skeptics. Let's be honest. We were skeptics, yeah. and so you know, we were proven wrong. And I'm glad we were proven wrong. But this was yep. not. This was not an easy thing to pull off at all. Yeah, they weren't at Walt Disney's Grand Floridian Resort. They were at the Four Point Sheridan. So. Yeah. <laughs> their 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 budget was a lot less than what the NBA was dealing with and had a lot more moving parts and they somehow pulled this off. So just an incredible thank you to everyone involved for allowing us uh allowing us a hint of normalcy uh while everything outside of that bubble was fluctuating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think well done to everyone for making it through. You should get a medal for making it through, yep. I think. Uh, curling is not over, Jonathan. Uh, up next is the Mixed Doubles Worlds, which will be held in Scotland. I'm looking forward to this because looking at the field, I have no idea what's going to happen. There's not really a team that I look at and say, oh, they don't belong there. They won't. They have no shot of making the playoffs. I'd, like None of these teams here, it would shock me if, uh, if any of them uh, qualified their team for the Olympics. And the way that's going to work is uh, you've got two pools of 10. The top three in each pool will make playoffs and qualify their country for the Olympics. The two fourth place teams in each pool will then play for the final available Olympic spot unless China f- China finishes top four in its pool, in which case that Olympic playoff game is unnecessary. And honestly, Jonathan, I am rooting for this play-in game to happen because that might be the most intense curling game in history. It'll be a fun game. It ain't going to be the most intense game in history. The most intense curling game in history. Why is that? Because it's a one-game playoff to determine whether you get in the Olympics. But we, didn't we just have a bunch of those for the playoff, like the last of the round robin games and the men's and women's? No, not like this. All right. What about the OQE events? Um, what, about, what about Schuster Schnittel back in 2013? Yeah, that was pretty intense. Yeah, those last chance. Yeah, those last chance games. But this yeah. is like I don't know. All this right, is different. This is what I'm gonna say. Mixed doubles is already a gong show. It's already like it's everyone That's knows the it throws wacky results. That's the other but, thing is like mixed doubles is a gong show. That's the other thing about it being intense is you could you could be up five and lose very in this yeah. game. And on, add on top of that, that there hasn't been a normal curling season. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of led to a bit of wackiness at the bubble event. So I think this will be, I predict this will be the most chaotic oh, set yes. of results. Uh, I'll give you some unheralded teams to watch. Uh, this is in no particular order, and I apologize to anyone I leave out because I love all of these teams in this tournament equally. Uh, <laughs> Team Paulova Paul from Czechia. Uh, they've been on tour and they a lot, and they've won a lot this spring, so they've played together as a pair a lot and been successful leading up to this event. I wonder if that will carry over into Worlds. Uh, Team Gil Hewitt for Australia. Um, I don't know. I like this team. They've done well at Worlds before. I hope they're able to get Australia into the Olympics. And then uh, Team Planxa Kiss for Hungary. They are two-time world champs. They missed out on the Olympics last time around. Their last world championship was 
was 2015. So they'll be interesting to watch to see if they can get hungry into the mix. All right. I'll, I'll give you the max chaos scenario. Okay. Scotland, England, and China all qualify for the playoffs. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I saw all the... I saw all the um, all the notes on what happens if China makes the top makes the top four of their pool, but I didn't. I assume it's the same thing with England. That if with yeah, well, really, it's just England and China, right? If England I, and yes, China make Scotland's the points carrier, so England can't qualify through exactly for the Olympics. So ooh, oh man, now I'm rooting for this. China, yeah. China, and no, you what you want? What Max Chaos is. England and China finish in the top eight or in the top four of their respective pools, and Scotland does not. Oh, that's Max Chaos. Yeah. That is Max <laughs> Chaos. Interesting. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, I, you have, that, that is my rooting interest. All right. <laughs> go Fowlers. <laughs> yes. Go Fowlers. Um, yeah, in addition to Max Chaos, I'm also rooting for someone random to make the playoffs and qualify their country for the Olympics because, Jonathan, only seven different countries have qualified thus far for men's and women's combined. You only had one difference there between the men's and women's side where Great Britain has qualified on the men's side, Denmark has qualified on the women's side. Other than that, they're all the same. So who do you want to have qualify? Here's what, here's what I'm asking. I don't, at the end of the day, I don't think the fields are going to be all that different looking at 2022 versus 2018. Is this hurtful for the growth of curling? And should we be pushing for an expanded Olympic field? Uh, well, they've expanded the mixed doubles by two. So that's a bit of an extent. I, I would be surprised if they expanded the field anymore. I think the interesting question is who else kind of steps up, right? I mean, on the men's and women's side, should we should we be pushing for fourteen teams instead of ten for the for the men for men's and women's tournaments? Should we be pushing for fourteen teams instead of ten? I would push for fourteen in mixed doubles because then you're only adding eight people, and that would well, I think that's the fastest way to spread the sport is because it doesn't take that much to train up two good players, but running running a four person program or four four fourteen you know. A full program for a four-person team is actually a lot more complicated. So I would, I would, if I was in the WCF, I would put my eggs in mixed doubles because it promotes max chaos and it's easier for emerging countries to put together good teams. And the perfect example is Hungary, right? Which which has had a competitive international team for the last last decade almost, right? And they just got because they've got a couple of good curlers and they play it and take it seriously and that's that's easy to support. Whereas running a full men's and women's program is is a lot more expensive. Like my non-curling friends like watching that because it's faster. There's lots of rocks in play. They find it easier to follow. Like like they don't like to me it's a snore fest because there's not much strategy involved, right? It's just lob a bunch of stuff in the middle and see what happens. So I, I see as a spectator why it's not that fun, right? Maybe you have one or two cool shots in it. But for like a newbie to the game, it's kind of, I can, I kind of see why it is appealing. Cause it's like a lot of stones. It's very quick. The scoring's kind of easy to understand. Um, I kind of, I kind of like it as like the, the entry, the, the gateway drug, if you will, to, to the more kind of the, the more conventional 10 end four person curling. But uh, that's just my thinking. And I honestly do think it's easier for countries. Like you can just see like Estonia, right? Estonia has been a strong mixed doubles team for years. And that's because you have Harry Lill and Mary Turman and Mary Turman's women's rank is, is good, but they're 14th in the world. They're not going to make the Olympics. I'd be very surprised by that. But if you told me that Harry Lill and Mary Turman qualified out of this tournament, I wouldn't be surprised. They're, they're, a, they're definitely a team that has the chance to be top eight or top, you know, whatever it is, top seven. Okay. All right, I follow you. I just I don't think it hurts anybody to expand them all to fourteen. Yeah. Uh, after mixed doubles worlds, we get U.S. nationals, uh, mixed doubles playoffs, and then the men's and women's championship will be streamed as a part of USA Curling's partnership with Twelve In Sports Network, and those games will be on USA Curling TV, which is USA Curling's. YouTube channel. They are finally moving these broadcasts to YouTube and away from 
whatever that platform was that they were using to stream on usacurl.org. So thank you to everyone involved in that decision. It's going to make these games so much easier to access for everybody. And if I had a plea, if the slams could do that too. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. Oh, I know. I don't know what international rights you're protecting with your your crazy proprietary platform. Figure figure out a way to get the games easily accessible for international audiences. It's you know, like is a if you're trying to grow your property, the Grand Slam of curling, the only way you grow it is by making it free outside of Canada. I, there aren't a ton of people that are going to pay the amount of money that it takes to get access to the Grand Slams here in the States using that platform that they use. Because I've bought uh, I bought a couple of those uh, tournaments um, through the platform that they use, and it's absolutely terrible. The user interface on it is the, – the user experience is awful. It's impossible to stream it to your TV. It is a bad experience, and that's why I don't buy them. It's because it was not worth the money. But if you want to grow the sport, if you want to grow your brand as the Grand Slam of curling, you got to make those broadcasts free outside of camp. And it, it's you got to take it as a loss leader until you grow the brand to the point that you then start charging. And, and there's demand, right? Because WCF is clearly now selling their product to other countries, right? Like there was a mm-hmm. lot of, you know, you saw the, you saw the rolling geo locking on the uh, WCF TV mm-hmm. schedule. And you could see that like Poland, Russia, Japan, Korea are all kind of picking up WCF feeds, obviously when their teams are playing, but the slams are pretty close to 50% international now. So I don't mm-hmm. see why why you couldn't work out some kind of deal with a streamer in Switzerland or BBC or whatever, right? To get some of the games on. Yeah. It's like, I am a fan of the sport of rugby league, which is not rugby union. Rugby union is extremely boring. I'm a fan of rugby league and they <laughs> are starting all up, our Scottish listeners now. <laughs> and they are starting up. I don't care. And we, we, we only get started for listeners when we do an entire Scottish show. If we don't talk about Scottish curling, Scott, people in Scotland do not care. I've learned that by looking at our stats. Um, I'm, I'm going to, I'll, don't worry, I'll take that out. Um, <laughs> you should leave it on then they'll get angry and come listen to us. <laughs> okay, maybe I'll leave it in. Um, rugby union's boring. Uh, but anyway, they're starting up a rug, a rugby league here in North America, a rugby league league here in North America. And for the streaming, they're putting it behind a paywall. It's going to be 10 bucks a month. And even though I am a rugby league fan, I am not going to justify spending that money to watch a product that I have no idea how good it's going to be. I would yeah. rather, if I was going to pay, I would pay for the, the, the pay-per-view to get the games from Australia where I know the games are good, but some of those games are broadcast here in the U S so I don't have to do. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's bonkers to me. Um, and I don't get why they, they don't, uh, like if not giving away for free, figure out a way to make it very easy for them to watch other places, get some ad revenue. At least, at least find a streaming. If you're going to charge, at least find a streaming partner with a native app that makes it easy to access the broadcast. Cause with the, the thing that they use now is awful it is awful anyway uh now that everyone at the grand slam of curling hates us uh which i really don't care um what was <laughs> so it scotland about? hates us grand slam of curling hates us i'm making all kinds of friends today jonathan it's great <laughs> all right. um, team schuster and team peterson are not participating at this nationals um i really don't mind it uh this event does not lead to a world's birth because it's taking place after worlds obviously uh there is an olympic trial spot up for grabs the 2022 world spot will go to the team that wins the nationals that'll be held in february of next year Uh, so i don't mind that they're not participating in fact i think that it makes these tournaments more wide open and it makes the round robin more exciting to watch yeah i i agree um especially on the men's side because i think schuster's kind of really dominated um i think i think with peterson not there probably sinclair is the maybe not prohibitive but very strong favorite let's put it that way on the women's and team side christensen yeah i guess so i guess so um we'll see uh so the men's side i think is a bit interesting and then i think it's a good chance for you know some of the teams that have kind of been on the bubble of playoffs to maybe maybe post a result here you know and uh, send a message for the olympic run right uh, the other fun thing is Jared Allen's playing with Todd Burr. That's going to be awesome. Is he awesome. playing, playing? <laughs> or is he fifth playing, man playing. All right. Like playing. All right. Well, now we've got a team to cheer for. He's listed as their second. 
That makes sense. I did say that when he first got into it, he should just focus on being front end, right? Like just become like, the best mm-hmm. lead you can be and you will be the best lead. Like, you know, he's... That appears to be what he's doing. I mean, to be honest, getting an NFL <laughs> NFL All-Pro to sweep your stones, um, he's going to have the coordination to pick up the sweeping technique and he, he knows what the training... T- he, he could actually... You know, focusing as a front end player, I think smart. Like that's actually a path for him, you know, make a run as a curler. Uh, elsewhere around the world, we had some other national championships. Uh, in Poland, the junior team skipped by Daria Szymara defeated uh, Marta Pluta, who is a kind of a perennial favorite there in Poland. So the junior team coming up and uh, and winning there is kind of a surprise. Uh, Conrad Steik won on the men's side. Uh, no spot for Euros for either of those teams as our friends in Poland still remain on the outside looking in of the WCF. We'll, we'll have to do some investigation to see if we have any updates on what's going on there, Jonathan, now that... Yeah. Uh, now that COVID's coming to an end, maybe some court proceedings there in Poland have actually gotten underway. We might check and see what's for, check for an update there. Um, yeah, Latvia, the men's team, the men's tournament is currently going on, and there's a kid uh, named Zas who looks like he's 12, who has beaten all three of the prohibitive favorites and is currently in a four-way tie for first. It'll be interesting to see what happens to them over the weekend. Uh, so yeah, that's pretty cool. And then the women's champion was actually 17-year-old Evelina Baroni. So just like we've seen in a lot of these different countries, the the junior-aged teams are holding their own against the adult teams. And in fact, in some cases, winning these nationals. So pretty cool to see. I, this doesn't surprise me at all, right? So they, they all go to the WCF camps or they, there's a camp in Norway too. Um, so, you know, from 13, 14, they're going out and getting world-class coaching. And then they have a lot of these countries, like Latvia has a very good coaching system and their, their teams at the world junior Bs are always solid. So, you know, and the, the adults often didn't get to curl much, or at least not on, on club ice, um, uh, growing up as juniors cause their facilities are, are fairly new. So it's, it's a chance for kind of the younger generation, that development zone to, to get good and, you know, very quickly can knock off some of the older teams. And then Lithuania, Jonathan in Lithuania on the women's side, Virginia Polishketa, uh, has re has regained the lat, the Lithuanian women's championship. Uh, she lost last year. It was actually the first time in a while that she had lost, but she has now regained the Lithuanian championship and will represent them at Euros. And then on the men's side, Arunas Skrullis, uh captured the Lithuanian championship. I believe that was his first in like 11 years. There was some, some enormous... Uh, gap between men's championships for him. So I saw the, I saw the photos of of his team after they had won, and they seemed pretty elated. So kind of cool to see there. That's cool. Yeah, and hopefully there'll be a Euros for them to play in, right? That would be awesome. Uh, two other notes, uh, Jonathan, that I have here in the states. We have two U.S. clubs whose construction progresses. The Southern California Curling Center in Vernon, California, which is just south of downtown Los Angeles, uh, California. Uh, they're coming along. And then Rock Creek Curling Club in Lafayette, Colorado, which is right between Boulder and Denver. Uh, their construction is also progressing. So I really think that the future of curling in the U.S. is kind of their out west, uh, California, Colorado, and uh, and even Utah, I think if you look at kind of population shifts, you see Colorado and Utah are really growing and even Idaho, Idaho is really growing. I think that might be uh, another one of the states that might be next as far as seeing curling really develop. But uh, Utah, Utah, Colorado, Idaho, you know, major population moves there. And then Southern California, just because it's been so untapped. Uh, mm. But I think the I think the future of of curling in the u.s is is out west is i saw that austin was getting dedicated ice is that true i think i saw some of that on social media yeah they made an announcement that they were going to build a dedicated club but i have not seen any updates on that since then i believe that was Mm -hmm. in that was in march it was actually like shortly after we 
released our episode about uh, the team from Houston that won the 1991 U.S. Championships. I saw that announcement. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess we'll we'll see. Hopefully, right. more dedicated ice. That's good. All right, Jonathan, you got anything else for us before we get out of here? No, I do not. Well, it was good talking to you again. Uh, we'll have to do this again more often than once a month. Uh, although it was it was good to get a little bit of a break after we uh, we were pretty steady there for a while. So it was nice to take a little break. But we're we're back and we're definitely going to bring you guys some cool episodes. Thank you for listening to Rocks Across the Pond, a curling podcast. You can find all of our previous episodes and blog posts at rocksacrossthepond.com. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast app, and leave a review. If you enjoyed listening, the greatest compliment we can receive is when you tell a friend about us. That helps us grow and helps us share our love of this great game. If you have a comment or question, or you just want to talk about curling, you can email us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at Curling Podcast. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Rocks Across the Pond. Thank you again, and we will talk to you real soon. <laughs>